get into God's word, shall we? Would you stand with me? The 96th Psalm is 13 verses, so we will be reading all 13 verses, and then we'll get into the study tonight. Please follow along with me as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved he shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. And Father, we pray that as you are here with us tonight, that you would give us understanding of these passages. Lord, pour your Holy Spirit upon us, that he would do his work in opening our hearts to understand, to give us uh, wisdom as well as discerning hearts to know how these, uh, th these verses, these truths that we look at tonight can be applied to our lives. Give us that understanding, God, that we might honor you with our lives, that we might give to you glory in the way that we live our lives before you and before the people around us. So, Lord, bless us with your holy presence even now, we pray. Thank you for your love for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. been a few weeks since we've been here in, in the Psalms. We looked at Psalm 95 last time together, and uh, there are some definite similarities between the 95th and the 96th Psalms. Uh, but we see here, as in the 95th Psalm, that there is no inscription. There's no uh, uh, inscription to give any clue in terms of the author writing in the beginning of the Psalm who this was perhaps written by or or what the occasion may have been. But we do have a clue out of First Chronicles as well as Second Samuel. In Second uh, Samuel 6 and First Chronicles 15, we see that King David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. If, if you recall in that particular, in those passages, uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been in the hands of the Philistines for a period of, of seven months until they just couldn't handle the presence of God among them uh, any longer. And it wound up in the house of Abinadab of Kirjath-Jerim for a period of 20 years. And David, King David, wanted the uh, Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem where it belonged. So he built a tent for it especially to house the Ark of the Covenant and then uh, in those particular chapters that I mentioned, uh, he went to get the Ark of the Covenant. Second uh, Samuel 6 gives a bit more detail for what happened. There are actually two attempts, and, and uh, on the first attempt, one of the young men who was helping to carry the Ark or to, to um, move the Ark on a cart 
even though it's supposed to be on poles, as, as the Word of God says, um, the, uh, the, the, the oxen stumbled, the, uh, the cart was about to fall, Uzzin reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant, and he was, he was struck dead right at that moment. And King David basically said, we got to go back to the drawing board here. This isn't right, right? So they, they did the research and looked to see what was supposed to be taking place, and so he got the Levites to do what they're supposed to do and uh, getting the, the poles to carry the Ark of the Covenant uh, uh, as a couple of Levites bore the Ark on their shoulders and they made it to uh, Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in 1 Chronicles, I should say, not 1 Corinthians, 1 Chronicles um, 16, we see that David wrote a psalm of thanksgiving. And about halfway through that psalm, in verses 23 to 33 in chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles, we see that, uh, well, those verses basically are a word-for-word -word, uh, copy of Psalm 96. Or should I say Psalm 96 is a word-for-word -word copy of that portion of this psalm of thanksgiving that David wrote. Uh, and this, this psalm, as it's written here, that portion of, this, of the song that is written by King David in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 16, um, this portion has to do with, 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 with praising God uh, among, the, um, among the other nations, uh, as well as creation of praising God, and, and of course ending with, as we saw in reading, the fact that God is going to come back and judge the earth. And so that, that, that's a quick uh, um, overview of, of how this psalm actually was written. And so we can safely say, since First Chronicles 16 does give credit to King David for writing that particular psalm, that Psalm 96 was written by King David for those particular reasons. It is a song of praise, of course, a song of praise as well as the acknowledgement and praise for the fact that God is coming in judgment. And at the end of this psalm, we see that, that God is, 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 is praised because he is going to judge the earth with righteousness as well as with his truth. We'll, we'll, get, we'll be getting to that in just a little bit. But in the very beginning here, the first three verses, let's look at these first three verses uh, once again, I'll read those three verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. So we see that as David writes, he is, he is writing as an encouragement. Really, it's a command. The, these verbs here in these three verses, sing, 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 we see in those first two verses. And then the word proclaim, and then declare in verse th three, declare his glory among the nations and declare his wonders among all peoples. The, these are uh, uh, commandments that are given by the Holy Spirit through David to the people of God. You know, and, and we're to sing. We're to sing. We're to sing praises to God. We're to sing in such a way that he is honored and glorified. We're to sing in such a way that the song that we sing is a new song. Just fresh praise and fresh worship coming from our hearts continually. You know, and not getting into the, oh, this same old, same old, you know. Um, one of the things I'm blessed with is, is we, we have a, Laura and Martha ministering to us tonight in, in song, you know, um, a new song that I just heard recently, first time that we've sung it, the, the, the song uh, that, um, I forget, what's the name of that song? I can't remember what it was. I remember we sang a new song. Which one? No, the, the middle one. Which one? What was that song? What was that called? Firm Foundation. Have we sung that before? Just once? Maybe I wasn't here. Yeah, first time for me. Yeah, 
But what I was going to say is it's just a, a blessing to have new songs coming, you know, to, to, to worship the Lord with, you know. And uh, I, I'd i heard that recently, you know, and just just the idea he won't, that, that that's what struck me, you know, when I first heard the song, you know, is that he won't, he won't fail us, you know. And I, I think that's a, a wonderful, powerful message. And we, and we need to be singing those new songs. And I'm not saying that we always have to have a new song every week, no. But every song we sing needs to be fresh in our hearts. That's, that's the idea behind this, a new song. Let's not, get it, let's not let our worship and our praise get old, right? That's the idea behind it. And this new song is to be sung not only by the people of God and here in the context here, with King David writing this, he would be he would be uh, uh, writing this song for the, the people of Israel to sing in praises to their God. But David is acknowledging here that he's not just simply the God of Israel. He is indeed the God of Israel. But he's the God of the entire earth, isn't he? He's a creator of all things. And there were many people then at this time who worshipped what might be called other gods, quote-unquote, other gods. But we know that they are not gods at all. They are false gods. And yet they would be worshipped. There are many, many people to today who are worshipping false gods. You know, if it's not the God of the Scriptures, of the Old and the New Testament, it, it is a false god that is being worshipped. And, and these gods, not being gods at all, really come from, well, as the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, he calls them doctrines of demons. And, you know, I mean, it's either... It, it, we're either worshiping the true and living God or we're not. And we may not be worshiping any God at all. That might be better than worshiping a false God. I don't know, but they're both unacceptable, right? We need to focus on the reality of the truth of Scripture. And the entire earth is commanded to sing this new Song In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, now the scene here in Revelation 5 is in heaven. John has been uh, called up to heaven. You know, at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, John is called up to, uh, to, to heaven. He goes up, and then he sees the scene of, of, of much worship taking place here in, in heaven. And it says here that they sang a new song, verse 9 of chapter 5, they sang a new song saying, you, speaking of Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Ultimately, in the book of Revelation, we see the fulfillment of all the nations worshiping God. That's the scene that is in heaven. But, but all the earth is to praise him because, well, he created all things. Uh, as, as we see later, you know, the, 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 the pe gods of the peoples, verse 5, are idols, but, but Yahweh created the heavens, that contrast. And again, we'll get, that, get to that in just a moment. But that, that, that's a point that is made here, though, the, the fact that God created all things and so all the earth is to worship him. Isaiah 37, 16. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And I, and I mentioned a, a few weeks ago that just simply by, by virtue of creation, God having created all things, that means that all things belong to him. It, it, 
creation implies ownership until the one who made whatever it is that we're talking about determines to give it to someone or sell it to someone. You know, a lot of people make a lot of things. I mean, somebody made these chairs and they didn't keep them for themselves. They sold them to us so we can sit in the chairs. And now they now belong to us because they were sold to us. You know, there, there was some kind of a contract at the time. And so it, it, that, that's what happened. But we see with the Lord and all that he has made, all belongs to him. The cattle on, on, on a thousand hills and so forth. We quoted from that recently in regard to that truth. So we're to sing a new song, and the entire earth is to sing a new song, to bless his name. And we see also in verse 2 the, the word proclaim. This proclamation is to be made in terms of proclaiming the Lord and who he is to other people. I mean, declaring his name, basically tell people what God is like. Tell, tell them who he is. Tell them his, what, 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 uh, of, of his nature, of his attributes, of his character. That's proclaiming his name to others. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And, and we see here in this second verse, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Again, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful that is when someone is going to others proclaiming the truth of God and proclaiming the glad tidings of good things, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the gospel. Do you guys have people around you who need to hear the gospel? We all do, don't we? They can be family members, and, you know, I mean, in, in, in my family, you know, I mean, virtually everyone, I mean, in, in my family, Jeanette's family, uh, all came to Christ. Um, uh, Jeanette's in heaven now with her mom and her dad and, and her baby sister with Gary, her brother-in-law, my dad who, who, who's gone before her, others, others. But still at this point, I've got a couple of grandkids who haven't bent their knee to Jesus yet. Distant, more distant relatives, cousins and so forth, aunts and uncles and so forth, right? But... Um, we all have people around us who don't yet know the Lord. We're to proclaim that good news of his salvation. Proclaim the gospel of his salvation from day to day. And that's just a Hebrew way of saying, don't stop doing it. Each day. Do it today, do it tomorrow, do it the following day and the following day from day to day. That, that's what that phrase means. We're just not to stop. The best way that we can love someone is to pray them into the kingdom and be used by God to share with them the good news of his salvation. You know, we were talking about this this past Sunday a bit. It's something that we need to be doing. Proclaim the good news of God's salvation. And to say to Zion, your God reigns. To, uh, the context there with Isaiah being a prophet of God amongst his people. You know, as he says, your God reigns. He's speaking about Yahweh reigning. He's speaking about the, 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 the reality of, of God's omnipotence and, and the, reality, the, reality, the reality that he is completely in charge. He's sovereign over all things, right? And just because there are a lot of people who don't recognize it, and they will give all the, their reasons for not believing what the Bible has to say, whether they speak about the ancient things that it says and they don't, just, don't, don't apply anymore or whatever. You know, it does not mean that he doesn't reign over them as well, because he does. He reigns over the heavens and the earth. 
So even as Isaiah wrote, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You want to be a blessing to people? You want to be described that way? Share the gospel. Share the good news of God's salvation. And we're to declare his glory among the nations. Um, make the declaration of the reality that God is glorious. Declare his glory among the nations and declare his wonders or his works among all peoples. F.B. Meyer wrote this. He wrote, If the Lord Jesus has become king of your heart and has brought blessing to you, do not hesitate to give voice to your allegiance. In private, sing unto him a new song. In public, show forth his salvation and declare his glory. And that's how we ought to be living our lives. It, it, it's getting tougher and tougher to do that safely in our culture, though, isn't it? Um, people are losing their jobs for declaring the glory of the Lord, for, for, for speaking of his salvation. And, you know, that, that, that's always been the case. Uh, you know, it, I, I made the point a few Sundays ago when we were talking about how in Jerusalem, you're going through the book of Acts and all, and, you know, Paul wanting to uh, collect the offerings from the churches in, in Greece and in Asia to take to the churches in, in Judea, Jerusalem in particular, because they were suffering because, well, they were being persecuted. People were losing jobs. They didn't have money because they were coming to Christ. And uh, I think I made the point that, you know, it's not just a recent thing that people started losing their job because they stand up for Jesus, you know. But it is happening definitely in our culture. Verse 4. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So David declares that the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be praised in the manner of his character and his attributes and his nature. He is great, so we are to praise him Greatly. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. There is no way that any human being can ever find out the far-reaching aspects of the greatness of God. He's just too big. He's too great. His, his greatness is infinite as all of his attributes are infinite. And, and we being finite as we are, I mean, our, our minds are just not big enough to comprehend all that God is. He has declared to us, he's given us his word, given us certain things that we can understand, but it, this is just kind of touching the surface in terms of who he is and his, his greatness, his majesty and so forth, right? Because we just, we, we, we will never be able to, to have a, a, a good understanding. And yet... You know, and I've been thinking about a lot about this kind of thing recently. You know, thinking about my honey being in the Lord's presence right now. I, I just, you know, I, I, I imagine regularly, you know, I, I, I think I shared this with you Sunday, but anyway, I, I imagine regularly the expression that must have been on her face when she saw Jesus for the first time. You know, I mean, that, that big, beautiful, bright smile of hers, I mean, how brightly was that shining then at that moment, right? And she's got a much better understanding of all that now than we do, along with others who've gone before us, right? We, we sing the song, I Can Only Imagine, you know, and uh, they're not imagining anymore. They're, they're there. But even then, 
they can't, even in his presence, because of the finiteness of their own personhood and their own minds, they can't understand him to the great, in terms of the, the, the vast greatness that he is, you know. They see more than we see. Now we see through a glass darkly or dimly, but then face to face. But even then, we can't catch all of it because we're just too small. We just can't. And I think, that, I think that's a wonderful thing to imagine, you know, the, the, the reality of that. But his greatness, as we see there in Psalm 145, is unsearchable. I want to take a look at King David. You know, we, 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 we talked about earlier how this psalm was written as a thanksgiving psalm upon the Ark of the Covenant being brought into Jerusalem. And I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and read a few of those verses. Uh, to, to take a look at David and the way that he was praising and worshiping the Lord as the Ark was being brought in to the city. A familiar passage to most of us. 2 Samuel 6, verses, verse 16, and then verses 20 to 22. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Then verse 20. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father in all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants and whom you, of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. You know, you know what we're talking about there basically is worshiping God with, without abandonment, you know, freely. Um, and, and David said, you know, you think I was undignified then? I'll be even more undignified because he's the one who's worthy, not me. You know, we can't worry about what we look like as we worship God. I, I remember back in the day, back in the, when I got saved in 1973, that was pretty much at the height of, you know, the, uh, the Jesus movement, you know, really the, that, um, that, that time when the Lord was working mightily within the churches and, and, and all over the world, really, in the Western culture. Um, upon getting saved and beginning to go to church, we found our way to Calvary Chapel and you know, the, the worship was, was, was very free and open in the sense that there was a lot of the raising of hands taking place, you know, and um, we, we just don't see that anymore. And I think that has to be revived amongst us. I mean, the scriptures say, lift your hands unto the Lord, right? Why don't we do that? I remember that when I was watching other people doing that, and then I started, I, I, I thought maybe I should do it, and I started raising, it's like, I, I, I was, I, I felt very hesitant to do it as if there's something wrong with me doing it. You know, like people are going to look at me weird or something, yet all these other people have their hands raised, so I don't think that's it. But just this thing with me as a person, I didn't want to be undignified. Right? Is that what that was? I don't know. I can't put a finger on why I did that, but it just, it just felt like I, I was very inhibited because I didn't want people to see me and notice me doing that. And yet, in doing it, there's such a freedom. There really is. 
worship, worshiping the Lord freely, raising our hands, lifting our voices, singing loud. You know, I mean, I think that's how we ought to worship. Now, I'm not saying that we should get all Pentecostal or anything. But I am saying I think we could do better. I think we could do better in our worship of God. Lifting our hands up unto his name. You know, I will lift up my hands unto his name. Why is it that when we sing that, we don't lift up our hands? <laughs> you know? I think we need to do that, you guys. It's a part of worship in which the physical expression is matching the fervency in the heart. Right? And if the way that we do worship, just standing very still and just singing, you know, you know, it's like, is, is that what's in our heart? I mean, how much do we love him? How much in our own heart, how much is, how worthy is he of being praised? How worthy is he of being worshipped? You know, um, I say let's give, him, let's give him all of ourselves, mind, soul, and body. Give ourselves to completely over to worshiping our God. We see that here that David continues as he's writing, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. And this is the reason for all the gods of the peoples are idols. You know, the, the word idols in the Hebrew basically means useless. That's what an idol is, just useless. You know, I, I, I quoted a few weeks ago um, passages from um, Isaiah about the foolishness of idol worship. You know, going out and cutting down a tree and half of it you make an idol out of it, the other half you burn in a fire and you cook food and stay warm and stuff. And then you bow down before that one half, you make an idol and you, you worship it and you are my God, save me. And it's like, you can't do that. I mean, have a mouth but can't speak, ears but can't hear. You know, they don't even have feet. They, ha they have to attach little things to the bottom so they don't fall over, you know. It's like, that's the God you worship? And the scripture is clear that we become like the God that we worship. And even in the uselessness of that idol, so are the people that worship that God. But we who worship the one and true living God are not useless at all. Because we know, we understand who our God is and what he's like. He, he made the heavens. You know, there's a contrast here. You know, this little, this, this connection word there, but, you know, it's a contrast between the gods and the people, the gods of the peoples who are, worship, who are, excuse me, useless, idols, useless, and God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, who made the heavens. Now, there's quite a bit of difference between a so-called God who is useless and the true God who made everything, right? And so we ought to honor him and praise him and worship him accordingly. And look at these words in verse 6 that are attributed to God. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Honor, majesty, strength, and beauty. Those are some very powerful words. This is a part of who our God is. He's a God who's to be honored for his greatness. He's to be honored for his majesty, which is the following word. There's none like him. You know, we, we can, you know, summertime, uh, traditionally, uh, we as Americans, we will take our vacations and all, and and I, I have enjoyed my vacations that I've had with, with my family uh, a number of times, you know, uh, driving with, with Jeanette up, up north to Montana or, or to Wyoming to, to, to visit other, other family members. Uh, about the last five or six years of my dad's life, uh, we made sure that we made a trip up there every summer, make sure that we saw him because we didn't know when the last time would be, you know. Um, but um, whenever we come back, we, we would come down through western uh, Wyoming and 
we, we look at the, the Grand Tetons there. I mean, you talk about majestic mountains. The, the Grand T I mean, they, the Grand Tetons, those are majestic, man. Beautiful to look at. I mean, don't you guys love to see, I mean, the, these mountains that there's still a little bit of snow on the top or something, or, or go to Yosemite and, and see the beauty of that place? You know, we, and we, we, would do the, we would do that. We would go to down the Grand Tetons and head west and head over to uh, uh, the, the California and, and drive through Yosemite, just to drive through. And we didn't stop. We just drove through because we like, you know, we stop and maybe grab something to eat, take some pictures, and then go on, you know, just because of the beauty of it, the, the majesty of God's creation. Imagine the majesty of the one who created all this, right? Absolutely astounding. I mean, we, we can't, well, I can only imagine, <laughs> right? I can only imagine. Strength and beauty are his. They're in his sanctuary. His, his omnipotence, he's far above all things. There's nothing that he can't do. And the beauty, the beauty of holiness, as we see down in verse 9, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That, 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 the, the holiness of God, that his, his set-apartedness, the fact that he is so much more holy than anything that he has created, including us, obviously, and yet he gives us his holiness that we can stand with him. Just incredible, incredible. When we think about the nature of God, we think about his attributes, we think about all that he is and the way he's described in the word, and, and yet he has reached out to us, he has stooped, Jesus himself stooping as God to become a human being like we are so that he can live a sinless life and be the Lamb of God, sacrifice for our sin, all of the sin of the world placed on him, so that we can do what we're doing tonight, talk about him, we can pray to him, we are saved by him, we, we are with him, he resides within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, you know, we, we can... We can allow that to get old, just kind of get used to that and take it for granted, but might we never? I mean, that, that is a crazy thing that God does that for us. And he's with us now. It's, it's crazy that he'd want to. I mean, you know, why would he want to be with me? You know, the, the guy you know in me is far from the guy I was when I got saved. Not the same person. Can anybody else attest to that in their own lives? I mean, we, we all can do that, right? You know? But it's like, he's so good. It's amazing. Amazing. Honor, majesty, strength, and beauty. Verse 7, let's move forward. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Now the, these commands to the nations, right? The, o families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Tremble before him all the earth. I, I just want to comment on that before we go back to verse 7. But this idea of trembling before him, we see a picture of this in, in Exodus in chapters 19, 20, 21, right in there, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the law, and, and he sets a boundary at, at the bottom, and then he's up there with God, and there's a cloud, and the, and the thunder, and the earthquakes, and the smoke, and all this taking place, and the people are down there waiting for him to come down, and he comes down to visit for a minute, and he says, and, 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 and they basically tell him, you go up there, we don't want to, you just tell us what he says, and we'll do it. Because they were trembling in fear of the presence of their God. He's just that awe-inspiring. Well, we ought to be trembling before him as well. 
in the sense that we know who he is, we know that what he can do, we know that we do not deserve, we're not worthy to, to be with him, and yet he in his grace and mercy has made us worthy. We're to fear him, tremble, and, and tremble at his word, the truth that comes forth. There's just not a, enough trembling at the word of God anymore. Even within the church, as doctrines become watered down, you know, I, I think there are, 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 are too many pastors who are too concerned about people coming back. And so there's a, a weakness in the deliverance of God's word. You know, and that's kind of the definition of a hireling. Yet it's way too common, way too common today. But we see God here through David, as David gives this command, give to the Lord, O families of the people, give to the Lord glory and strength. Now I want to ask you a question. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Can we actually add anything to God? Can we give him strength? Can we make him stronger than he already is? No, of course we can't. And even the idea of glory, in terms of giving him glory, he has glory. You know, and we'll say, let's give the, 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 the Lord glory for, for what he's done. And, and what that means is acknowledge that he's the one who's done it, not us. You know, no one can steal his glory, right? That means... I, you, none of us, no human being can take credit for what he does. If he's working amongst us now, giving us understanding of who he is, giving us understanding of the, of the scriptures, it's not because I'm such a great teacher, but because the Holy Spirit is touching hearts. It's his work. The Holy Spirit's our teacher. And so, you know, it's, we can't add anything to God. So, in, in, in giving glory to God, I mean, we, we can't make him more glorious. We can't add him add strength, but we acknowledge that he is glorious. We acknowledge his strength. We ascribe to him glory, meaning we recognize that he has glory. We ascribe to him strength. We recognize that he has strength. And so in that, we proclaim it. That's, that's what th this means, to, to give to the Lord glory and strength. Lord, we just glorify you. We just give to you the glory for who you are, for what you've done. We are nothing. You are everything. You've done everything. We've done little. You have saved us. We can't save ourselves. You know what I mean? J just giving him the glory for what he has done, acknowledging that he is, of course, glorious. Give to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering. Because of his glory, because of his power, because of his strength, because he is great and greatly to be praised. Praised in a great way because he is great. Because of his honor and majesty and his strength and beauty, because of that, because of who he is, let's bring an offering. Let's come into his courts. Oh, worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. You know, the New Testament equivalent of bring an offering we find in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writing... And by the way, just as an introduction to this passage in these first two verses of Romans 12, um, obviously, this is right after chapter 11. Um, in those first 11 chapters, God has, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, in writing under the inspiration of God's Spirit, is writing of who God is, all of his glory, all of his worthiness, all of his greatness, 
who we are, our need for him, what he's done for us, and, 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 and all these things, all of the doctrine that we find in the book of Romans in those first 11 chapters. And so Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, therefore, based on what I already have written to you on all these things about God and what he's done for us, who he is, because of that, I beseech you, I beg of you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a lot there. And we could spend the next couple of weeks just looking at that particular, those two verses if we wanted to. We obviously don't have time for that. But a couple things I want to point out to you. It's the idea of presenting ourselves, making ourselves available to him. Get up on that altar of sacrifice and make yourself available to God. That's basically what, 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 what that is speaking of. Present yourself a living sacrifice. As you're on that altar of sacrifice, you're not going to be killed like an animal would be killed on, on that altar. You're going to remain alive, and God is going to use you. And you, you lay yourself on that altar saying, basically, Lord, do with me as you see fit. I'm yours. A living sacrifice, living our lives in such a way, well, living our lives in the way that he shows us, in the path that he gives to us to live. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Living a holy lifestyle, living a life that's acceptable to him according to his word, based on all that Paul has written here in, in Romans, and of course, for us in other passages as well, but it's your reasonable service. I, I like the way the NASB words it. It is your spiritual service of worship. It's just a reasonable thing to do. If reading those first 11 chapters other passages in the New Testament, understanding who God is, having an understanding of God and not responding in worshiping him does not make sense. It's, it's just reasonable to be a living sacrifice, a reasonable surface, service of worship. It's just what we ought to do. And if we don't find it that it's reasonable to do that, then we haven't really understood who God is. We haven't understood what he's done for us. Right? But because we do, then we worship. And our form of worship to him primarily is allowing him to use us. And we see in verse 2, basically, there in Romans chapter 12, that this is what this worship looks like in a practical sense. Not being conformed to this world. Don't allow the pressures of this world to mold you into its own image, the image that it wants you to be, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed is the Greek word that we get the English metamorphosis from. That's the word that we use to describe what the, the, the transition that a butterfly makes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's a metamorphosis. How can that caterpillar become such a beautiful thing? You know, the mo monarch butterfly, right? Well, because that's what it was all along. 
It was just in the early stages of life. And we, being born again, it's the same way. We are being born from above. You know, he has changed us. He has made us new. And now we are to be transformed from the inside out. What he's done inside of me now is to be seen through the way that I live my life. This newness of life in Christ. Metamorphosis from the inside out. Don't let the world pressure you into being like itself from the outside. Let the Lord give you life and let that life be lived through you so people will see Jesus in us, right? That's the idea of this metamorphosis, this transformation. And basically, what, what I am being commanded to do by God is recognize who you now are in Christ and act like it. Bottom line, that's what it is. Very simple. Not necessarily easy thing, but it, it's simple. Yet God empowers us. He enables us by the power of his spirit to do so. And the renewing of our mind only can take place through the word of God being etched upon the tables of our hearts. The renewing of our mind. And so with this transformation comes the showing forth of God's good and acceptable and perfect will for us. And, and living our lives in such a way that we worship that way. It reminds me of something that Tozer wrote. I, I read it in the last week or so. In my devotions, I'm reading a Tozer. It's a devotion that's been compiled for um, church leaders, people involved in ministry, and I mean anyone really. Um, but I, I love the month of June because the, the, the theme for the month of June is worship. Earlier this past week, well, this past week, Tozer, uh, on one of the days, this was compiled. This is what he wrote. He wrote, there is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship, unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. We come to God's house and say, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let us kneel before him. But when any of you men enter, enter your office Monday morning at 9 o'clock, if you can't walk into that office and say, the Lord is in my office, let all the world be silent before him, then you're not worshiping the Lord on Sunday. If you can't worship him on Monday, you didn't worship him on Sunday. If you don't worship him on Saturday, you are not in a very good shape to worship him on Sunday. Worship 24-7, right? 20, it's a lifestyle. It's not something we do just when we gather together. Yes, we, we sing songs of worship, but that should be an expression of, of worshipful hearts that lead us in our lives all through the week. Worshiping him every single day. And because he is who he is, great and greatly to be praised, creator of heaven and earth, filled with honor, majesty, strength, and beauty, glorious and powerful, we not only worship him, but we say to them among the nations, we let the world know the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. As we see there in verse 10. Yahweh is sovereign over all, and whatever he's established cannot and will not change. Psalm 67, 4, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. A familiar verse, uh, a passage in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice 
From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And finally, Revelation 19, 11. This is the culmination of it all. John writing, as he was given this vision, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. That, of course, is speaking of Jesus. The reality of judgment and the reality of the righteous judgment that Christ will bring. And finally, verses 11 to 13, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. And here we see the, in these two verses the, the worship of God's creation of God, not just simply of the human race, not just simply those who are created in his image as, as we are, but the, the, the hills and the trees and even the heavens, all the earth, the sea, all its fullness, everything, that means everything that is in the sea, every creature that is in the sea, every plant that is in the sea, will rejoice before the Lord. Let the earth be glad, be joyful and rejoice. Rejoicing, why? Because he is coming, verse 13, he is coming for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge with righteousness and the peoples with truth. All of nature will acknowledge the reality of Christ. You remember when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem on that, with his triumphal entry, that Sunday before he was crucified? We see in Luke 19, verses 37 to 40, Luke writing, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Nature itself crying out that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. That Jesus Christ is Messiah. He is Lord. He is Savior. I mentioned a little while ago about you know, those who've gone before us seeing the Lord in all his majesty and all. I, I think that anyone, and, 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 and really I think anyone, whether a person has been made right with God or not, or whether a person loves Jesus or not, when we come before his presence, whenever that will be, you know, for the unrighteous, those that are not saved, those who don't name Jesus as their Savior, that will be at the day of judgment. For those of us who know him and love him, to be absent from the body is to be present with him, right? And we'll be with him forevermore. But whatever it is, when we see him for the first time, I think it's going to be an incredible, aha kind of an experience. You know, and, 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 and again, it's like we talked about this song, I Can Only Imagine. It's, we imagine things, and I think it will be something like, you know, I imagined what it might be like, but nothing like this. In all of this glory, in all of this majesty, nothing like this. No way could I imagine it. You know, I mean, that kind of a thing. And those who have not bent their knee to him will have the same kind of aha experience. And those who've said, well, I've got some questions to ask when I get there, won't need to ask any question because all will be very, very clear. Just catching a glimpse of his holiness and his righteousness and all that he is, it's like, oh, okay. I wish I'd listened. I wish I'd listened. Now I get it. You know, I think it's going to be like that. 
Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and gracious in all his works. And the times that we've complained about the things that he's done or those that do, suddenly everything is just going to simply make sense because of who he is. And guys, because of who he is, we're going to take some time now just to worship him. We're going to take communion together. So if we could get the communion elements passed out, we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to partake in communion uh, as I read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll do that after we worship. But let, let's, let's allow the Lord, through this song, to prepare our hearts to worship him. I'm sorry? Altar call. They want to accept Christ. I'll tell you what. Do it right now where you are. You know, I mean, just in the sense of, let, let me lead you in a prayer real quick. Okay? That's awesome. That's awesome. Let, let me lead you in a prayer. Just um, the two of you while you're sitting there, just repeat after me, would you? Okay? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, taking my sin upon himself and being your lamb, the lamb of God. Thank you for taking my sin away and for giving me your righteousness, the righteousness of Christ with which I can stand before a holy God. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you and all that is within me. Continue your work in me as you mold me into your own image, Lord Jesus. And thank you for loving me. You are now my Lord. You are my Savior. In Jesus, in your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, the two of you. A new brother and sister in Christ. That's awesome. Now you are ready to partake in communion. Okay, let's go and pass, pass out those elements. So we're going to sing a, a song of worship, preparing our hearts before the Lord. Then I'm going to go ahead and read out of 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll partake together.
Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 and forward, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. 